Well, I hope the chains are broken after that. That was great. Morning, everybody. So if you're visiting here, my name is John, and I'm one of the pastoral team here, and uh, it's good to have you with us today. Um, This past week has been a hard week for our nation. And uh, we know of the outrage and almost like South Africa's come to a bit of a tipping point where people can no longer contain what they feel. And it's like almost lancing a wound and it's just gushing out everywhere in all kinds of different places. And we felt um, as a leadership of the church, we need to say something today. We need to speak about what's happening and we need to speak into what is happening in our nation at the moment. There is a rider to that, though. We recognize at the same time this has been going on for a long, long time. Just because it's spilling over a little bit more than what it is at the moment doesn't mean it hasn't been going on for a long, long time in many different communities. <clears throat> Pardon me. So there's a, there is a sense of tragedy for us at the moment. What I'm going to share with you this morning, I shared early on at the 8 o'clock service. I will speak again tonight. We're speaking about it at our Musenberg congregation, and some of our elders have gone out to the ladies' camp this weekend so that right across our church we can talk about this. The thing that's on my heart to address today is what's an appropriate Christian response to what's going on at the moment? There are many responses that are happening. There are there are, I've had a number of calls from people from the church and WhatsApps during the week and say, John, this is what's happening at work. Is, is it a good thing for me to be part of that? I'm not sure where I stand as a Christian. What's an appropriate response at a time like this? And so that's really what I want to address because I think Paul gives us a framework for that in Ephesians chapter 6. And so for want of a, of a title, I'll I want to speak a bit about standing up against the enemy schemes this morning in a day of evil that we are facing. For when Paul wrote to the Ephesian church and to the believers there, he wanted them to know that there was a whole lot more going down than what they were aware of. There's a whole lot that's happening in the realm of the, the spirit that we don't always see with our eyes, but we certainly see the evidence of it all around us. So let's read that in Ephesians 6. I want us to dwell on what is being said over here. I don't want us to miss one word of what Paul is saying. Finally, he's saying finally because he's coming close to the end of of his letter that he's been writing to the Ephesian church. And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Can I say to you, church, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can do something, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That's what the church does in a day of evil. 
he goes on to explain, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Then he goes on, back to what he was saying before, therefore, because of this battle that's in the God, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand. And for these believers that he's writing to, to respond appropriately, they needed to have the right perspective of what was going on. They needed to know that there were principalities and powers and there were forces of darkness in the heavenly realms at work all around them. And South Africa, that's what's happening. Instead of being fearful, instead of being overwhelmed, let's take our stand against the schemes of the enemy. It's time, church, for us to take a stand. Three times, Paul emphasizes this. Take your stand against the devil's schemes. These believers were to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. That's the way we're supposed to respond in the day of evil. And what's so good for me as I read these scriptures is that they're so practical. And I want to unpack what that means a little bit this morning. If we are going to have an appropriate Christian response to what's been happening around about us, then we need to begin by having our minds renewed. That's hugely important. The Bible reminds us that constantly believers need to have their minds renewed. For this reason, we often tend to rationalize what's going on around us. We, we often apply reason to what's going on around us. And there's no problem with applying reason and ration to rationalizing what's going on. But that's not enough. We are people of faith. We have a broader and a wider perspective to what is going on all around us. And so what Paul says over here, start with yourself. You be strong in the Lord. Make sure you're strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And there's a reason for that, is that when this day of evil, when evil seems to rise up like this, it may seem as though God is no longer in control. You get the feeling of like, where's God in all of this? What's going on here? It might appear as though having faith is just not enough. There are doubts and fears that we're trying to contend with at the moment. And that might be a learning curve for some, but I really believe one of the things that every believer needs to learn is how to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And I want to speak about what that looks like. How, how do we become strong in the Lord? How do we become strong in the Lord and His, His mighty power? And I want to make four suggestions to you this morning. And the first is this. We've got to keep going back to what we believe. We've got to keep going back to what we believe. You see, what we believe is way more important than what we feel. Now, let me be careful in saying that I'm not suggesting that what we feel is irrelevant. But what we believe is even more important than that. 
And you'll notice that when the day of evil comes around, what we believe gets tested. What you believe this morning has been tested by what's happened this week. What you believe about God is being tested. What you believe and what I believe about prayer is being tested. What we believe about people is being tested. What we believe about the devil is being tested. What we believe about the Christian life is being tested. And let me remind you that when Jesus was Uh, When Jesus faced the devil in the wilderness and he was tempted, he was literally bombarded with lies and deception. And friends, the same is happening at the moment. And Jesus had only one response to that. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let me say this morning, and I share this with you, not just my own opinion, But it's been very interesting, even after the 8 o'clock service, I've had at least five or six people contact me during this week, and they're saying to me, the sense we have, the devil's tactic is to distract us, it's to discourage us, it's to solicit fear in us, to take our eyes off Jesus, and you know what happens, you get so focused over here, the devil does a loop in the back, and he nails you. Friends, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus now on what He's calling us to do, on His instructions. Let's not take our eyes off the Lord like Peter did and ended up sinking beneath the waves. That's the first thing, going back to what we believe. We keep doing that. We keep going back to God's Word. The second is to remember that we've got a great cloud of witnesses around us. We're not alone in this. We've got, we've got reliable accounts of men and women who lived by faith and they triumphed because they lived by faith. And may I say to you, some of them were living in far more horrendous days than what we are living. And they triumphed and they lived by faith and they trusted God and they walked by faith. The writer to the Hebrews after that amazing chapter on all the heroes of faith even says, by faith they endured being sawn in half and persecuted. And then he goes on in chapter 12 of Hebrews and he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Friends, God has not stopped working because we've got tragedy. The Lord still continues to be at work when we call upon Him. And we, I believe we still need to be expectant and full of faith and praying into what God has promised. That's what we're here for. We're here to trust in God. The third way that can help us be strong in the Lord is to remember that's a choice you have to make every day. Every day that you get up, it's something you've got to focus on, something I've got to focus on. It's something we've got to take time to do because it's not automatic that we are strong in the Lord. To be strong in the Lord means to focus on the Lord. It means to listen to the Lord. It means to allow the Spirit of the Lord to strengthen us. Friends, I want to say to you this morning, we cannot be strong in our own strength. We have to be strong in Him this morning. 
When Paul wrote to the Colossian church, he says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. If ever you want to pray the Lord's Prayer, today is the time to do that. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is. And I'm not talking about a future one day when Jesus comes. I believe God is establishing His kingdom right now among men. Being strong in the Lord and His mighty power means that we are to embrace the words of a very godly man who spoke to a young woman who felt powerless and helpless to do anything about the tragedy that was about to happen to her people. You are here for a time such as this. I don't know how it all worked. All I know is that when Mordecai spoke to Esther, who was the queen at that stage, Something happened in, his, in her heart. Something changed in her heart where a fearful woman who, who was unwilling to do anything because of the cost that may involve, something was triggered in her heart and where she said, I'm willing to step up to the plate. But I want to remind you because we often focus on that verse and say, for you here for a time such as this. Let me read to you the, the words that precede that because when Mordecai speaks to her, it's on this basis. I know God's going to come through. It's just going to be through whom? Oh, Esther, are you willing to be the person who's going to stand up? But I know God's help's coming either way, whether it's you or somebody else, but the Lord's going to help us. You see, he was a man of faith. What he was saying to Esther Maybe this is why God has got you here. Use the opportunity, use this time, use this moment to step up. Esther 4, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. That's what goes before you're here for a time such as this. May I say to you this morning, the church does make a difference. Because we salt and light. The church does make a difference because it believes the way forward involves a supernatural work of God. The writer to the Hebrews said, You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what you have promised. Now that's the first part of what I wanted to talk about this morning, standing firm against the schemes of the enemy, does involve you and me and us being strong in the Lord. Let's start with ourselves. But there's another part to that, another very practical bit of advice that we have, and that's to take a stand. We have to take a stand against the devil's schemes, which I believe is talking about the way we behave. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Put it on. And there's to me a very important thing every one of us needs to remember at this time as believers. In Christ we have a victory. In Christ we have a victory. See, 
see, that's why the devil tries to create a culture of fear, a culture of hopelessness and despair, because what we believe today will inform the way we behave. If we are going to be living full of fear, we will either run away or hide away. One of the two. That's not what God calls out in His church. We need to take a stand against the enemy. And we also need to take a stand against sudden knee-jerk reactions that dissipate and fizzle out in the next two, three weeks. The terminology that, that Paul uses here in Ephesians 6 helps us to understand what our, our behavior should look like when we stand against the schemes of the enemy. There needs to be truth. There needs to be righteousness. There needs to be the gospel. There needs to be faith. There needs to be salvation. There needs to be the sword of the Spirit. There needs to be praying in the Spirit. All of those things inform our behavior as believers. They speak about the way that we respond. And the key phrase he's using here is, take a stand, take a stand. And for the sake of this message, which is certainly my attempt to put what's happening into a biblical perspective, what is being called to what is being called gender-based violence, the loss of life that's become so acceptable that we no longer notice, horrendous crimes that people are committing, where our women no longer feel safe anymore. There are some very practical ways that I want to let, talk about this morning where we can take a stand against the schemes of the, of the enemy. And there are four of them. And the first one relates to our conduct in our own community. You might say, well, what in the world is our conduct in our community? And by that I mean our families our church, our homes, amongst our friends. What has that got to do with gender-based violence? My answer is that Christians need to take their stand by the way they choose to treat women, and by the way they choose to honor one another, and by the, the way they stand up for what is right. We want in our church to see a culture of honoring women and men. And it's something that we need to be known for here. And so what I've done this morning, and we're going to involve a few people as the sermon unfolds now. So I've asked Shelley, who's one of our, our pastors here at the church, to give us a little bit of a, a, a response to how we should conduct ourselves in our own community. But I've asked her to do that from a woman's point of view. And it's easy for me to do it from a man's point of view, but I want us to hear this morning from a woman's point of view. What, is a, what are the important things that we need to take note of? How should we conduct ourselves in our own community? So Shelley, if you can come and do that for us, please. I want to start off by reading a, a post that was um, written by Robin Anderson, who we consider very much part of our church family, even though she's working up in, in Joburg, um, Lyndon, Mark Anderson's daughter. And it was entitled, When Hashtag Rest in Peace Nene is No Longer Trending, What Will I Be Doing? She said this, This past week, I, like many South Africans, have felt heartbroken, angry, hopeless, 
ashamed of South Africa, but simultaneously proud to see our beautiful and diverse nation rally together and respond, optimistic that evil can be overcome by good, and more convinced than ever that I am 100% committed to this country and to its future. With all these conflicted feelings swirling around, I got teary-eyed watching the Nlovo Youth Choir's semi-final performance and decided to put some thoughts down on what's going on in my heart and my head. This week, thousands of people marched to Parliament. People are wearing black in solidarity and social media is buzzing with posts expressing the righteous anger of South African men and women. In all of this, I'm struck by my, and I believe our, externalization of the responsibility for ending gender-based violence. Not with me, it lies with Cyril. Not with us, with the police. The government must sort this out. Law enforcement must do more. And I agree, we need strong and decisive leadership who speak out against violence and discrimination in no uncertain terms. We need law enforcement and a justice system that responds quickly, prosecutes thoroughly and enforces an appropriate punishment consistently. We need to stand and march in solidarity with our sisters who have suffered at the hands of men and with all of us who live in fear that we will be next. We need to speak out against patriarchy, victim shaming, and misogyny. But the marches will end. The social media posts will return to being of smoothie bowls, selfies, and sunsets. And we will be left with the hard but necessary work to fix this ourselves. It is a daunting but empowering thing to realize that the solution to this lies with me, with us, the ordinary citizens of South Africa. And it certainly lies with the more privileged citizens of South Africa. Unless we reduce the number of men who abuse, rape and murder, the government and police are fighting a losing battle. We will still be marching and protesting escalating levels of crimes against women and also in general. So in response to that article, what are we as the church doing to contribute to raising and supporting men of integrity, and men of courage. In addition to speaking out against gender-based violence on Facebook and Instagram, I think there's some practical actions we can take, and it's not an exhaustive list, but just some thoughts. As women, I think we need to honor the godly men of integrity and courage in this church family and in our lives. As women, we need to appreciate the men of God who honor us, who protect us, and who love us as Christ exalted. But also as women, we might need to have the difficult conversations with the men in our lives about patriarchy and how they talk about women. We need to hold them to a higher standard, even if it costs us. And then can I humbly say to, to the men that Perhaps you might need to check yourself in terms of your language, your comments, and your jokes, especially your sexual jokes, and not just when you're around us as your sisters. I believe you as men can call out honor in other men when you are standing around the bride together or um, at a work conference and standing around the, the bar having a drink. And jokes are shared that objectify and demean women. You can speak up when a girl or woman is shamed by a man misusing his power and his strength. 
And can we say to, to you as men that you protect us as women with how you think about us. When you see us as valuable daughters of the King of Kings and worthy of honor and respect, you protect us with, as women with both your actions and your speech. But then we all can get involved by giving of our time and our resources to organizations that provide coaching and mentoring to young men. We can all give of our time and resources to organizations that provide young unemployed men with skills to become economically active and proud contributors to society and their families. To organizations that support addicted men in their journey to recovery and organizations that provide psychological support to men and teach parenting skills to those who have been themselves abandoned or abused. To sports clubs and social activities that provide young men with a place to go, a community to support, and a release for their frustration. And we can give of our time and resources to organizations like Life Matters, who are at the moment facilitating Raising Men workshops, which Alnari will tell us a bit more about later. But we all, here as brothers and sisters together, need to be an example in our workplaces of men and women of integrity and honor. We need to be a support to those work colleagues and friends who are raising their sons in areas where they are exposed to violence and to trauma. We need to be calling out the good in each other and speaking up against that which has no place in our family, our church, and our society. And if it all just seems a little overwhelming, let's just be encouraged to start small, but to start. Thank you, Shelley. <clears throat> our conduct in our own community, one practical step. I think when Paul says, take a stand against the enemy, it was, that wasn't just a pious platitude. I think he meant that affects our conduct. But the second way, we can take a stand against the enemy at the moment, is to use what we say in a godly manner. You all know the saying, the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones. You know that one? Now it finishes, but words will never harm me. You also know that's the biggest lie that's ever been propagated. We've all got a voice. And I know for many of us, social media has enabled us to express our opinions publicly. But I think whatever we do say in terms of the tone and the content, content needs to bring glory to God, wherever it is said. Paul said when he was writing to the Corinthian church, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible. But not everything is constructive. And then he goes on a little bit later and he says, So whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And just a comment from me this morning. I believe the church is meant to have a prophetic voice in society. But I also understand that a prophetic voice does mean we speak on behalf of God when we do speak. Saying things like all men are trash because of what some men have done is not helpful. 
All people, friends, men and women, have been created in the image of God. And we need to call out the wrongs, but we don't damage people's identity in what we say. A third way in which we can stand up against the schemes of the enemy is by our response to what is happening in the broader sense. You remember that Jesus told a parable, we know it as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the parable was to answer a question that was posed to him. And the question was this, so who is my neighbor? And Jesus' answer to that question is, my neighbor is the person in need. My neighbor is the person who's been attacked and left for dead. My neighbor is the person who's helpless and abandoned. And so, in the context of the Good Samaritan and what we're facing over here at the moment, we do have to ask ourselves, so what can we do right now? What are some of the ways in which we can respond right now? Now, one of the things that we believe that we can do today, and we can respond to today, is, and Shelley touched on it, and we want to just unpack that for you a little bit this morning, is Life Matters Foundation, who work in our schools, um, and particularly many of the more disadvantaged schools, are running a teen awareness program. That's what it's being called. It's a workshop that is addressing this very issue in the lives of many kids who've not had the privilege of being, living in a home where things are together, where they've got a father and a good father image when they do have one. And so we can't just remain silent. We've got to do something. And so what we are going to ask you to do this morning is two things. And Elnery, you can make your way up here while we do that. I want to grab a mic from Shelley there. Um, so we, we are wanting to ask you as a congregation if you can make this program possible. So I've asked Elnery, for the schools in which they're currently involved in, she said there are five schools, for 15,000 rand, we can run this program in every school. And so I want to ask you as a congregation, can we make that possible? For, for Life Matters to be able to do that. By the way, that's a very, discount, very discounted um, price because the schools that can pay for it, am I allowed to tell them it costs them more? <laughs> but, but I think that can be made possible. And secondly, we are looking for men to volunteer. There are a lot of lady volunteers that already have, but I think in the, in the light of what we're facing at the moment, to have some men who volunteer, and maybe I can challenge you, you want to take a day off work and say I'll be available for that day. And, and it's, it's the commitment you make to do something and, and to make a difference. What we will do is two things in terms of that. If we can put the next slide on, please. Here is the church's banking and details. Now, I just need to warn you, if you don't itemize what the gift you put in, we're going to spend it. Because that's what we do. So you need to put either LMF, which stands for Life Matters Foundation, or Teen Awareness Program, TAP, you can put that there, we'll know what it's for. Um, and when you leave this morning, and I forgot to mention this earlier on, there's going to be stewards standing at the door with a bag, so if you want to put something in there this morning, you can do so. Elnery, thank you.
So yeah, as John has already explained to you, what we do is we go into the schools and we run teenage awareness programs and we've been doing that for years. And we do address issues around consent, uh, around um, women's rights, tell the girls what their rights are. But obviously with this week and everything leading up to it, this has really given us a platform to be able to speak specifically into the issues of gender-based violence and in the communities that we work in where it's so prevalent. Um, and so what we've done this week, I mean, I think Shane is here. Where are you, Shane? There, Shane at the back. He's already done one on Friday. We went into a school and, and already ran one of those workshops. But the whole idea is, is that we want to educate young people. Most of them are coming from broken homes where there are no father figures, where there are no role models. And so they've got no example of, of how to behave. And also they have no, the girls don't actually know how to um, you know, how it is to be treated well. So what we're trying to achieve with these workshops is to tell the girls what their rights are and, we t and talk to the guys about what is appropriate behavior and what isn't, what is consent, what does it mean to be a bystander and not say anything. All those things make a difference. The jokes they make in the locker rooms, the, the stuff they talk about in the school ground, on the playground, those are all things that, ma that matter. And we need to talk to them about how to behave um, and raise um, good men. So what are we, we're asking for um, is we want male role models, we want male facilitators to come and, come and do a program with us. It is so powerful to have guys. We, we have a, a lot of women and we, we still want women, so if you're a lady and you'd like to get involved, that'll be great. But we are desperate for men to come and facilitate a workshop. You get training, you're told what to do, you run a small group of, of about between six to 10 children in a group. Um, and it's all facilitated, so you're not left to your own devices. Um, but we really need guys to do that. And then, of course, we need money to run the programs. Um, and so that is what John was speaking to you about. We've got five schools in this area where we can run that program. And we've already been asked by three other schools to run programs next week and the weeks on. So this is an, an ideal opportunity for us to speak into this mm. issue. Yeah. And so I encourage you to get involved. And so people who want to get involved to speak to you? Then come and speak to me. You can phone us at the office. You can even phone the church and they can put you through to us. So, I mean, if you'd like to get involved, you can chat to me afterwards as well. Thank you, Henri. Shane, where are you? Come and just tell people a little bit about what you did um, on Friday. And I think it was you and Taco that was, were involved together, weren't you? So it's been an interesting combination of an old man and a younger man talking to young boys. Um, we went to a small school, a small cottage school in Nurtuk, and there were only, I think, seven children altogether, three girls and four, guy, four guys. But what an incredible privilege and opportunity to sit with those four guys and have them unpack the things that they're struggling with, uh, with the accusations and the fingers that have been pointed against them, and then to help them to understand that's not who you are. You are created in the image of God, and mm. there's something bigger that God wants for you. Yeah. To be able to just share that with them and then give them a hope for what their future could look like and how they can make a difference on a daily basis. Um, how, uh, you know, one of the guys actually said, um, I, I heard somebody really abusing a woman and I, I knocked him out and it took, it took him 10 minutes to recover. And so they, to, to be able to talk through those kind of things and say, that's not an appropriate response. It's a natural response, but there are godly ways that we can respond. It's just an incredible opportunity. Great. Thank you, Shane. Um, so... I think another way that we can respond is by praying. Paul, you remember in the spiritual armor, all of, these, all of this response is based on the spiritual armor that we are told to put on. But, 
But you remember he says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. And I, I still think it's one of the untapped resources that God has given to the church. And the fundamentally, the way I see it is that although God is all-powerful and can do all things, he waits for his church to pray. It's the way he has just ordained that. Now, I want to ask Edwina to come up on the stage because she had uh, a sense of a word from the Lord for, uh, for us here this morning. And, and we, want to, we want to just pick up on this. And, and, and many people have been praying and praying for this morning and for the service this morning. And so I've asked her just to share what the Lord has put on her heart. Um, so when I was praying for um, just our nation on Friday, I, I saw a picture of um, there were people around our congregation and, um, and the, the, the word that the Lord gave me was they were ambassadors of hope um, mm. in our nation. And when I looked, <clears throat> when I looked up the word ambassador, um, just because I like, I like to understand what it means, an ambassador is somebody who represents or promotes, just lost it, or promotes a certain culture. And, um, and I feel like we are called to be ambassadors of heaven where we are. Um, and the scripture that I, I felt the Lord um, put on my heart, um, just really stirring on my heart, was from Proverbs 11, verse 11. And it says, By the blessing of the influence of the upright and God's favor, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. And I strongly believe that there are men and women, good men and women, who are in this church who God has strategically placed in positions of influence over industries, over companies, over um, government um, authorities. God has put you in those positions so that you can usher in um, God's, God's desire in those places, so that you can usher in heaven's blessing into those situations, so that the Lord can see his kingdom come in our city. And I strongly felt in my heart that those people who, who, who this resonates with, this picture, I felt like you needed to stand. And I feel like there's something that um, the Lord has given John, that John is going to pray and impart over you. Um, and we're asking John, not only because he's the senior pastor, but we recognize that the Lord has given something for John to carry, and John is going to impart this um, over, over us here this morning. Thank you. John, we yes. honor you as Thank a you. son of God. Thank you. Will you stand, those who would like to stand? We're going to pray for you right now. And uh, you're not bragging by standing. You're saying, I want to be an influence. I think as you're standing, you're saying, Lord, I'm willing to receive that word. And like with Esther, when you receive God's word, it activates you. It does something in your heart. It empowers, it enables. That's the nature of the word to do that. And so this morning, God, these are your people. These are your children. These are your servants. Lord, in whom you have put the Spirit of the living God. 
want you to just receive this this morning. His Spirit dwells in you. His Spirit dwells in you. The Spirit of the living God. And Father, I pray today that where there has been doubt around being a person of influence, Lord, where there's been any confusion around being a person of influence, I want to ask, Lord, that that be broken right now, this morning, as we pray. I want to pray, Holy Spirit, because you are the one that speaks to us. You're the one that leads us. You're the one that puts the, the thoughts of the heart of God in our hearts. I pray the Lord place His heart on your heart. The Lord speak His words into your heart. The Lord show you the things that He wants you to do. The Lord give you courage to do what He calls you out to do. The Lord give you boldness today. Not to be a great person, but to honor a great God. And I pray that over you in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. The last one, my last point, but we're not finished after the last point, so let me. But I think, for me, it's the last, but it's not the least. And that's we, we refuse to give up on the gospel. The gospel is still the power of God to change people's lives. You know, social media gives people a voice. But social media doesn't save people's lives. The, only the Holy Spirit does that. Calling for the death penalty will not change people's hearts. It may be a deterrent, and you may have views on that, and I may have different views, but I don't believe that's going to change people's hearts because it's the death of Jesus that changes people's hearts. I know if you ever remember that Paul was quite a violent man. And in his own words, he says this, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm one of the worst, he said. But for this very reason I was shown mercy, so that me, one of the worst, Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on Him and receive eternal life. Friends, if you, like me, believe the Bible, the Bible says that much of what we're seeing is because men and women have turned their backs on God. That's where it's being manifested. It's called sin. And it just escalates from one degree to the next. The wonderful thing is we have good news in times of bad news. Now we want to wrap up things this morning by taking some time to pray. So I've asked um, two of our men to come and help me with this, and if I can ask Ian and, and Byron to come and join me. I think it's appropriate that it's not that I want to overlook any lady. 
any women, but it's appropriate for some of our men to pray this morning. You're going to start us off, Ian. So, I've asked them to focus on specific things, but not to be exclusive around that. They will pray as the Lord will lead them. But two of the things we want to, we want to pray into, and I've asked Ian to pray into, one is the attitude that people have towards one another in this country needs to change. And, and we need a generally a change of attitude and a change of heart to one another. And then to pray for people who've been abused in this country. And I'm aware of the fact there may be abused people sitting right here this morning. And you've been abused at the hands of, of somebody who has uh, used their power and overused who they are in the most shocking way, and that's brought devastation to your life. I think the thing that has really been encouraging, Elnery, you better slip back on the stage here. Sorry, Ian. Just tell everybody about that lady's testimony at the rally you went to. Um, I, I went to that rally on um, Thursday, and um, there was a lady there who works in Mitchell's Plain with uh, rape survivors, and, um, and she, there was a lot of women that spoke before her, three women, in fact, that spoke before her that were very angry, obviously, and very indignant, and, they, and they, uh, there was a lot of very harsh language being used. I mean, if you were there, you probably can attest to that. Um, but this lady got up, and she was also very passionate, and she spoke uh, quite passionately about her experience. She had been, uh, was repeatedly raped over a period of eight years, and after that, um, I don't think there was any, the guy was never uh, sentenced or convicted. And then it happened to her again. She was raped again. And then she, so she spoke about that. And then she said in front of, and you've seen that picture of how many thousands of people were there. She said, but Jesus came into my life and he gave me hope and he healed me. And she kept saying that over and over again, that because of Jesus, she is now a survivor and she's not a victim anymore, she's a victor. And I thought, what a testimony to be able to give to an angry mob of people who were like out for blood, really. She said that Jesus was her hope, and that was incredible. So when we pray for, for people who've been abused and victims, we can pray with hope. We're meant to be people of hope. Then I've asked Byron in his prayer if he will also pray as we, we need to lift up and pray for our government. I think we need to pray for the police that are somehow trying to contain all of this. I don't know about you, but I'd hate to be trying to be a policeman at the moment. But I do believe the church should be praying for them and the job that they've got. And then for, the, for there to be a gospel-centered change that takes place. And I really want to say that. I believe, and I don't, I don't want to minimize education and all of the things that need to happen. They're all important. But fundamentally, the real change comes when Jesus changes a person's heart and life. And there's an inside change that reflects on an outside behavior. So we're going to pray and ask these men to lead us in prayer as we come before the Lord. So let's pray together and, and let's, let's agree together. The Bible says where two or three of you agree together. And let's do that as God's people this morning. Just, um, I'm aware I often feel at this stage, and it's hot, but I just want to urge us all in these, this short time to, to just really collectively press in, to feel the heaviness in this nation right now. 
Don't move too quickly to hope because we need to feel to have that passion that Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane, just that some of that, some of the weight of sin. Lord, this heaviness is, is upon our nation. Our nation is heavy at the moment. Many of our hearts are heavy, Lord, as we, as we think. It's easy to, to put things over that sometimes. But if, if, we, if we're honest, Lord, there's a kind of collective sigh, even audible here. It's audible through the nation, Lord. And Lord, we, yeah, it's a sigh for fatherlessness, and it's a sigh for violence against violence. It's a sigh for loneliness, for desperation, for hunger. Lord, it's a sigh for people who, who've tried everything and feel they've still got nowhere. It's a sigh for men sitting on the side of a road with nothing to do. It's a sigh for women scared in their own homes, in their own communities. Lord, we take this sign, we, we raise it to heaven because we know you are the only hope, Lord. And so we want it together, Lord, start to lift up those people, Lord. Together, Lord, in our own way, you've taught us to pray. And we say, our Father in heaven, mm. holy is your name. Mm. Want your kingdom come here in this nation. Mm. And your will be done in families and schools and societies and communities and relationships and hearts around this nation. Lord, we lift up the foreigner who's come over amazing obstacles to get here just to try and put food on the table, and yet there's violence and hatred for no reason against them. Lord, the little, the girl children, the daughters, the women, the grannies who, who have given so much and hoped so much and yet right now are living in fear and with hurt and pain. Lord, we lift up the families, the countless families who mourn the loss of loved ones as recent as yesterday without understanding and with even anger towards you, Lord, because they don't know what else to do with it. Lord, we lift them up to you. We only know to bring you into this place, Lord, to do what we can to usher you in and say, Lord, you are the answer. Lord, we pray for them, Lord. We pray for our own hearts, Lord. In various ways, Lord, we can mask things, but we know that each of us, in different ways, for different reasons, sighs this morning. Some of us are starting to feel we're losing some hope. Some of us are feeling angry. Some of us are even fearful, even here. Some of us are foreigners. Many of us are women. All of us were born of women. Lord, we collectively cry out. But Lord, we know as well that even in doing this, even as we bow our heads together, you are amongst us in a special way because we are all Jesus followers and Jesus carriers, and the unity that brings is incredible power. And Lord, we, we have that this morning, Lord. And so we, we pray for, for our unity, Lord, in this act, but beyond that, Lord, that as we go, it wouldn't just be frothy hellos and things, but it would go beyond that, Father, that we'd reach deep into each other's experience, especially across lines of gender and race and privilege. Within this room, Lord, that we could model what it is to live together, how good it is when brothers and sisters properly dwell together in unity. So we pray for us, Lord, but yes, as John said, for this nation, Lord, only you can knit us together. 
Only you can change attitudes that are just broken, mainly because of our own brokenness, Lord. That so many men sit as just with such small perception of themselves. They've been brought down by other men, by maybe women, by whatever, by circumstance. But they themselves are so low and it expresses in this ugly, pathetic manifestation of violence and abuse. And Lord, we, yes, we pray for them this morning. Those in prison, those not in prison, those in the prison of their own minds, Lord. We pray for them this morning. And we pray that you would change our collective attitudes, Father, as a nation. Mm. That we would start to become a beacon again, like we have been in times past, at various times of, of unity and hope, Father God. And so, Lord, as we, you know, as we feel the weight of all this, Lord, we ask you to zoom right on our, on our own hearts. We know that maybe the saddest thing and maybe the reason we sigh the most is that deep down we know each of us is complicit in some way. That each of us carries the same brokenness and lack of identity. Each of us carries the same, the same anger in some way and fear that we see out there. And Lord, yet we know that you have redeemed us. Mm. And so, Lord, we, collect, we say together with the psalmist, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's anything, anything against you within me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Maybe just before Byron prays, can we just stand and say that together? Search us, O Lord. Won't you just stand and say that as part of our declaration? I know you all believe this. I know that he is the answer. So let's say together, search us, O Lord, and know our hearts. Test us, Lord, and know our anxieties and our worries. See, Lord, if there is anything wicked, any wicked ways within us. And Lord, won't you lead us from here, from today, in your way everlasting. Amen. If I can encourage all of you, I would like to just ensure that we just place our focus on the Lord this morning um, as I share with you and as I pray. So if I can encourage all of you just to please close your eyes. Don't look at me. Don't focus on anything else. But just focus on what He is saying to you and what God is wanting to do through you. So there's two things I want to pray about. The first thing I want to pray about is, um, yeah, as John suggested, about our, our government and our leaders. And I thought I'd start by just reading from 1 Timothy 1. Pray for all people. So church, this is godly. This is God's word. Pray first of all. Then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and for all who are in high positions. That we may lead a peaceful life and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given at the proper time. Yeah, so for me this week has been difficult in terms of actually coming to a place where I could find myself praying for our leaders, but God's word is true. 
and he calls us to do this. So I want to encourage all of you to pray for our leaders. And as I do that this morning, just see what God's saying to your heart. Yeah, so Father, we bring our government before you, Lord. Um, this is a time of, of real testing. It's, it's not new, as John has said, and it's been something that's been weighing heavy on this country for a long time. But we know that it is a scheme of the enemy, Lord, so we look to you. We bring our government before you, Lord. We bring all our leaders before you, Lord. And we pray, Father, that they would seek you first, Lord. That the people that have been placed in high positions within those spaces, Lord, that you would use them mightily, Lord, that they would be salt and light, and that your spirit will be manifest through them in their words, in meetings, in conversations, Lord. And we pray, Father, for those people who know you intimately in those places, Lord, that you would give them courage and that you would be their hope and that you would be their strength. So we pray for our government, Lord. We bring before you all of our leaders in high positions. We bring before you our, our policemen and our police women that are out there fighting the good fight, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would give them courage, Lord, and that by your Holy Spirit, yeah, they would get, um, yeah, they would come to a place where they would seek you first, Lord. And that they would do their work, but they would do it in a way that honors you, Lord. And then the second thing that has challenged me this week, so just keep focusing on God, but the second, the second thing that has really um, spoken to me this week is, where, where is my place in all of this? How do I fit into all of this? Being a man, but also being, being God's son first. How do I fit into this? And I feel that there was definitely, there is definitely a distraction. The enemy is definitely trying to distract me, and I feel that he's been doing that for a lot of us. So I want to read from 2 Kings 6. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes. So Father, open our eyes here this morning, Lord, that we may see. So the Lord opened his eyes and the young man of the young man, and he saw and behold, a mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness and in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. So yeah, for me, I was just so acutely aware this week that um, I've, I've also been distracted. And so, Father, I come before you, Lord, and we, we as a church, we stand before you, and, and we just stand here in awe of who you are, Lord, and we look to you. Yeah, Father, help us to understand where our place is in everything that is going on in our country and in our nation, Lord. Help us to understand individually, Lord, how you have made us and who you have made us to be.
and what is our purpose in everything that is happening, Lord, in our country and in our city and in our nation. Yeah, Father, we press into you this morning, and we ask, Father, that you reveal to us all individually what it is that you would like us to do. What is the thing that you would like us to pick up? What is the mantle that you want us to hold? And where do you want us to be? What words do you want us to speak? Father, give us wisdom. We pray for an abundance of your wisdom, yeah, that we can use every single day and every single moment, and that this does not become another peak, and that turns into another trough in our country, Lord. But we pray, Father, that we seek you diligently, that you would, yeah, that you would speak to us as we are on our knees praying before you. Father, that you would position us in the right places, Lord, and that you would use us at the right time. So, Father, for everyone that's here today, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would, um, yeah, that you would speak to them in these moments as they seek you. And I want to encourage all of you to just take a couple of minutes to pray to the Lord about what it is that he is saying to you, you as God's child. So, Father, we look to you this morning, Lord. We look to you as our heavenly Father. We look to you for instruction, Lord. We will not be dismayed, Lord. We will not be overwhelmed. We will not look to other things, Lord, but we will look to you. We will press into you this morning. So, come, Holy Spirit, speak to us, Lord. And use us mightily in this nation. Use us in this time when there is complete chaos and tyranny, Lord, help us to understand, and, and by your grace and your love, help us to, to just see a, a very small picture of what it is that you are doing in the unseen, Lord, because we know there is so much going on that, that we are not privileged to even see, Lord. But we pray, Father, that you would use us in those moments. Use us in our conversations, Lord. Empower us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Byron. Thank you, everybody. Um